Hey, welcome back to The Urban Monk, Dr. Pedram Shojai, talking about stuff that matters. Uh, it's good to be back on the horse. Uh, I like this format of podcasting because I just get to talk to smart people and ask questions on your behalf. And this is an important one today. Uh, we've had Seth Siegel on the show before uh, talking about water, uh, but we're taking a deep dive into um, our water, our troubled water. I, I, don't, I don't know how many of you all out there know how bad it is. I mean, we've all heard of uh, Flint, Michigan, but um, it's a lot closer to home, apparently. And uh, it's something that we all need to be incredibly mindful of. So Seth Siegel, welcome back on the show. Thank you. I'm glad that I did well enough last time to be invited back. <laughs> he made that cut. Yeah, no, you're doing some great work. Uh, I know, and, you know, preservation, conservation, drip irrigation, all sorts of stuff we talked about previously. Uh, but now, you know, look, not all waters. I mean, look, water's water. But what we do to the water um, is something that I think a lot of people have been looking away from, including the people that we think are supposed to be watching it, which is the part that pisses me off the most. Um, me too. Man, I mean, you you know, there's so it's, many. It's why it's why I wrote the book. Really, I, I, this is not just to write a book. This is really to get like a citizens' movement started. That uh, whereby we we once we all understand just how bad it is, and worse, how easily fixable it is, and yet worse, how our elected and appointed officials have been sleepwalking. I think we're going to see some really exciting uh, changes in the next couple of years. And we're going to need to because I mean, people are getting sick. And it's not, it's like in Flint, it was a thing. Uh, but how widespread is it? Let's just start with that. Like, how bad is this problem? Well, part of the answer is that we don't know because of the fact that the EPA isn't doing as much as it could be doing in terms of uh, looking out for public health. So it, it starts with that. But when you have independent testing of drinking water almost everywhere, and by the way, drinking water, I include both tap water and bottled water. And I hope we'll get a chance to talk about both of those a bit uh, on your show. But uh, whenever you have this independent testing, what's clear is that there's almost always some level of contamination in it. Now, it isn't always the case that it, it the level of contaminants is higher than what the EPA currently says is a contaminant that we should be worried about. But what concerns me most here is the fact that with 120 some odd thousand chemicals of different kinds in commerce in the United States, a mere 70 of them are regulated contaminants by the EPA vis-a-vis our drinking water. And as terrible as that ratio is, there has not been a single new chemical regulated by the EPA in more than 20 years. Now, 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 let me just explain to you, I mean, I'm sure you know, but let me explain to your listeners who may not know what it means that it means to be regulated. What it means to be regulated is that every utility in the U.S. is then obliged to test for the presence of that contaminant and then to either reduce it down to the what's considered the safe level, which oftentimes isn't actually the safe level on further examination because the numbers selected are political choices more than their health choices, and and. If the utility doesn't do that, then the utility has to file a uh, a self-evaluation, which says basically, oops, we've allowed contaminants in the water. And last year, there were some 80,000 violations of the Safe Drinking Water Act for health and other other problems that were filed. That's a self-reporting system. So you have to imagine the real number is significantly higher than that. You put all this together, and what you come to quickly understand is, is that there's just no possible way that there hasn't been another contaminant that we should be worried about about that is in our water for more than 20 years. It, ju- it just it, It's not like I'm an alarmist. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not any of those things. I'm a center, centrist uh, guy with a business background. And, uh, and, and it's just an appalling fact here that there hasn't been any activity for so long. Well, just to, just to put things in perspective, I mean, since you made that statement 60 seconds ago, some guy in a lab invented a new chemical that's now out in the market. <laughs> just about right. There are a couple of thousand new chemicals added to the chemical list almost every year. And by chemical, I also include pharmaceutical products. So every – because that also gets into our drinking water. Uh, and I can explain later how and why it does. But but it's a very big area of concern. So you have all these, all these chemicals getting into our drinking water and no 
<laughs> and, and we're treating it like we're treating it like it's 1950, and we don't have the tools to figure out that it's there. We don't have the tools to figure out how to get rid of it. I mean, it's it's just so stupid. Is it a lack of funding? Is it a lack of political will? Is it all the above? Like, what? Why the hell are we looking away from the the most important thing that we have, which is you know, clean, safe, healthy drinking water? Until people call out for action, the easiest thing for every bureaucracy, and I include Congress as a bureaucracy, the easiest thing to do is to do nothing, and that's what they do. It's not like it's not like they couldn't be doing more. They know they can be doing more. They choose not to do more because there's no call it popular concern about it. So if nobody's if nobody's raising a, a problem, their attitude is, why do we have to raise it? Yeah, yeah. Until the squeaky wheels come, come. Yeah, and, and, that, and, and by the way, and, and, and Petra, that's exactly why I am doing this. I wrote this book. I, I, I think you remember from last time. Every single penny of royalties I get from this book, I don't keep a nickel, not a dime, not a penny. Every penny goes to water-themed charitable activities. I donated it all away, and my charitable activity here is to help raise this awareness because we. We are all, every one of us are at risk for ourselves, our children, unborn children in, in, in mommy's bellies, older people who are vulnerable, people who are on chemotherapy. Every one of them are highly vulnerable to the contaminants that are in our drinking water. Let's, let's bring this home for people who say, well, you know, why should I care? What kind of health problems are linked to these contaminants? Okay, they fall into two major buckets. First is is cancers, um, and the second one is endocrine disruptions, or disruptions to the hormonal systems of the body. And, and I want to make clear to your to, to your listeners that what we're not talking about necessarily is something like 150 years ago, where there'd be cholera in the water, and and you would drink it, and within 72 hours you'd be dead. That's not what is happening anymore, and that's a very major step forward. And I must say, I praise the EPA for the fact that they really are very good on what I'll call the contaminants that can kill you quickly. Where they are less good, and I profile somebody from the EPA in my book, um, more than one, but somebody from the EPA who said, we're not really good at, at, we're really good at stopping the contaminants that kill you quickly. It's the ones that kill you slowly that we're, that we're not so good at. And so that's really where the area is that, and the first area is in cancers. There's a whole bunch of different carcinogens that get into our water, and it's proven. I mean, I can list the names of them, some of the chemicals is things people have heard of, others not. But but these are chemicals that, that we are now known human carcinogens, and they cause bladder cancer or testicular cancer or thyroid cancer and other cancer, kidney cancer, they, all kinds of, of different cancers. And th- so that's the first category. The second category, which frankly, I find more troubling, uh, and I am not a, myself a scientist, but I interviewed, I did 125 interviews for this book. I spoke to many scientists. They're all listed in the back of the book. Um, and, and what they tell me is, is that this second area is in some ways more concerning because all kinds of, of endocrine disrupting compounds are getting into our drinking water and they're affecting, when I speak of hormones, people usually think of sex hormones. So it does affect sex hormones. It affects desire. It affects fertility, but it also affects, uh, ability to grow and focus and, 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 and things that ultimately have implications for IQ and, and implications for, uh, uh, a proclivity to criminality and obesity and diabetes and all the things that are controlled by the body's hormonal systems are being disrupted. And the reason for that is, if I could just take one more second, is because the very chemicals that um, the very chemicals that we use to adjust our body systems, right? We all, not you or me, not you and me maybe, but 70% of Americans, uh, 12 and over, take at least one prescription medicine a day and 20% take five or more a day. Within a few hours of taking that pill, we either pee it out or we shower it off our skin off, you know, from sweating it out or it goes into our uh, washing machines. And what we find is that it all goes, all that ultimately goes, I can describe the process, it ultimately gets, put into our water supply and then is comes back out in a highly diluted form. Now, these different medications or the pesticides that kill off bugs, all of these different chemicals, what they are created to do is to monkey with the endocrine system, right? You want to have higher appetite for sex or lower appetite for sex. You want to have a higher appetite for food or lower appetite for food. You want to sleep more, you want to sleep less. You want to reduce your blood pressure, you want to increase your blood pressure. And on and on it goes with dozens and dozens of different categories. And in the case of pesticides, it doesn't blow the, the head off of the, of, the, of the bug. What it does is it monkeys with their endocrine system and it causes them to become you know, infertile or to 
get into a deep sleep and to die that way. And so in these micro quantities, these chemicals get into our systems as well. And they have an unknown effect on us. And what we need the EPA to be doing is to be testing these different chemicals and telling us what the effect is and using modern existing technology to clean the water of these chemicals. How ill-equipped are they? I mean, so what, what I'm hearing is they'll they'll pump it up, they'll chlorinate it to, to you know beat cholera, but basically all the carcinogens, all the obesogens, all the pharma, the pharma that people are peeing out, and the pesticides. There's no screen for it at all. Yes, exactly right. Um, it's hard to imagine that, isn't it? What we what we have God is our, damn it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have. And by the way, so here you are, really smart guy. You talk to smart people all the time, yeah. and you didn't know this either, and that's exactly my point. Once the public knows about this, people will not put up with this nonsense. What we have as a system is, is listen, when we had our wastewater treatment plants, which there were 14,000 some odd in the United States, when these were all created, the ideas behind them, what happened was we said, ooh, poop is smelly and disgusting and we're dumping into our lakes and rivers and we want to get rid of that disgusting feeling of having to be around it. So what they did was they invented a brilliant system for its era, 1910, 1920, we're talking about, a brilliant system where they found all these very interesting, friendly bacteria to chomp, chomp, chomp and eat up all of the what's called organic material, right? The stuff in the poop, the chicken scraps that you that you wash down the, the uh, sink a, a, a after dinner and so forth. All that goes into the wastewater treatment plant. All of it is treated and all of that bad guy stuff goes away. However, around 1950, America became a very different country. We started using lots and lots of pharmaceutical products. We started using lots and lots of industrial chemicals and solvents. And we never changed the way we addressed that wastewater. And then on the inbound side, around 1910, 1915, we started chlorinating the water with great effect. Cholera basically disappeared in the United States. But we never changed what we do now on the inbound side either. So we have the outbound side, the stuff's getting out, and the inbound side, we're, we're taking care of the organic stuff, bacteria that grows in the water while, while it's being shipped to us, but we do nothing about the inorganic material, the chemicals that are in our drinking water. Is the technology there? Um, and totally, completely, completely. It's there. In fact, one of the chapters of my book talks about one of the great communities in America, Orange County, California, which made a decision years ago for unrelated reasons. It wasn't related to health. It was for another reason altogether. But as a happy consequence, they realized that they can get rid of all of the stuff out of the water. And so hallelujah. What great news. What they They're do. They're able to what they put in, they put in a reverse osmosis system. They put in ozonation. They put in microfiltration. They use the whole use the whole toolkit of tools that are needed. And you would think, oh my God, it must cost everybody fifty dollars a week for this. It costs sixty three cents a week per person more than they were currently then paying for drinking water. Where do I sign that's up? 30, yeah. That's thirty. That's thirty three. That's exactly. It's thirty three dollars a year per person. And actually, it's cheaper for the rest of the country because they also use it as a way of keeping seawater intrusion out of out of their drinking water which most of America doesn't have any need for. So the best guess is you could be doing this for between $20 and $25 a person a year, which is how much do you spend on your cable bill? What do you spend on your cell phone? What do you spend on the next extra pair of sneakers? What? And, and, and by the way, if we're talking about poor people, we are a rich enough country that we provide food you know, for people who are hungry, we provide housing for people who are homeless. We can provide water vouchers also for those who can't afford to pay for the better water. Everybody should have high quality, safe, clean drinking water, regardless of ability to pay, but it's not that expensive. Well, the irony is uh, we're paying for the health care of the poor people who are coming in with the aftermath of all the endocrine disruption and the challenges, uh, you know, whether it's through, you know, federal programs or state programs, the health care is going to cost 10x that, um, you know, after 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is. I mean, the writing's on the wall. It's there. <laughs> plus, plus it, what, what effect it has on our, on our uh, natural resources around us, on our lakes and our rivers. And if I can give one shocking, horrible example, um, I, I just was curious to see what the effect was on a uh, what's called a sentinel species. That is a species that is used to see how 
what is affecting that species could be seen as possibly affecting humans. So it turns out that fish are a very reliable sentinel species to see what happens to them when they're exposed to chemicals. So here's here's a couple of statistics or a couple of facts that I recount in my book, uh, Troubled Water, that will I, I think may shock some of your listeners. It certainly shocked me when I learned about it. So if you test, as the U.S. Geological Survey, part of the federal government, tested 19 rivers. They tested upriver and downriver of a wastewater treatment plant. Upriver of, of a, the wastewater treatment plant, the fish were more or less normal. Downriver, downriver, the fish had extremely high levels of what's called intersexuality, which means that male fish were developing female sexual apparatus and eggs. They started having aberrant behavior. They had lower sperm density, lower sperm quality, and a population collapse downriver. Why? Well, all the hormones that are getting into the water and they and getting through our wastewater treatment, all those birth control pills and other products like that, get into the water and downriver, bingo, bam, the fish are getting clobbered. The second amazing story is what's the largest body of water in America? The Great Lakes, right? It's it's just massive. It's 80% of America's fresh water is the Great Lakes. So so, so this absolutely enterprising, remarkable scientist at University of Buffalo, she said, okay, I want to test in a vast body of water. I want to see the effect of a, of a chemical that can only, only be something that's processed by wastewater treatment plant because there are hormonal products that are affecting these fish that come from other sources. So she tested psychiatric medicines like Zoloft and Celexa and other other things that do great things for society. It helps people with depression, with with uh, all kinds of bipolar, manic depressive issues. It's a gr- These are great, wonderful things that have been added to society's use. But then we pee it out, we poop it out. It gets, it gets not processed by the wastewater treatment plant and it gets dumped. So she went ahead and she tested all five of the Great Lakes. She pulled out lots and lots of fish. And here's what she found. 50% or more of the fish had Celexa or Zoloft or some other psychiatric medicine in their brains and in their organs. 50%. So if the solution to pollution is dilution, as the old expression goes, it's not working in our favor here. And then we pull that water out of the Great Lakes and it becomes our drinking water and we add chlorine, which does nothing to stop these inorganic compounds and it gets into our bodies. It gets into our children's bodies. It gets into the fetuses of the women carrying our, our children and our grandchildren. What's funny is like, I was just having this talk with my, my son who's like, you know, we, we driving by some cows and he's like, well, you know, what are they doing? I'm like, they're eating grass. They're having their breakfast. Yeah. He's like, so, you know, when, when do they stop? I said, they don't. They eat grass all day because <laughs> they got to. And then when we eat a cow, we get more calories because that's how that works. But we are distillation organisms. We are filtration organisms. The fish is going through and sucking water. And the only thing that sticks, you know, is, is the pollutant. I mean, obviously there's things that it's getting out of the water, but the fish are basically going through and scrubbing that stuff out. And guess what? They're getting sick. And the people who are eating those fish, um, you know, obviously they're also getting sick. So, you know, you know I, op- I opened my book with a chapter, which I wanted to make this relevant to everybody. I opened my book, uh, Troubled Water, What's Wrong With What We Drink. I start the book with this little town in upstate New York called Hoosick Falls. If if one in 10,000 of your listeners has heard of Hoosick Falls, tell them to contact me. I'll send them a free copy of my book because <laughs> it's a town <laughs> that I deliberately picked that no one has ever heard of. I didn't want it to be a major American city. I wanted it to be an everyman place. And it's like a Norman Rockwell time for got kind of a place. You know, everybody's nice to each other and, you know, big little league program there. It's just like a nice town. And lo and behold, for a long time, it's a factory town, like lots of middle American type places. It's a factory town and and they make products with Teflon. And lo and behold, who knew it? But Teflon has an ingredient in it that over time was getting into the drinking water of the town. And this one man, a fellow named Michael Hickey, a wonderful guy, not a scientist, a simple, you know, went to college but took business courses, never learned any science, never knew anything about science. His father gets sick with kidney cancer at a fairly relatively young age, and he can't figure out how that's possible. There's no history of it in the family, and it's a genetic kind of a disease. There's no history in the family. His father's young. His father's healthy. His father doesn't smoke. His father's fit. Nothing makes sense. He says, maybe it's the water. So he goes to the mayor of the town and says, we need to test our water. Because the EPA is not testing the water for sure. So he says, we need to test our water. The mayor says, let's not make trouble. 
So on his own, he's not a rich guy. On his own, he goes ahead and he arranges to have the water in the town tested. And you know what he discovered? He discovered that the water was so insanely contaminated with this chemical called PFOA that it turned out that it was in the bloodstream of nearly everybody, in fact, not nearly everybody, everybody in his town. And PFOA is a known carcinogen. It causes kidney cancer, testicular cancer, thyroid cancer, ulcerative colitis. It creates hypertension in pregnant women. It has all kinds of terrible side effects. And it turns out that it's almost ubiquitous in America. 23 years since the last chemical was regulated by the EPA, and they can't come around to regulating PFOA? What's going on here? That's embarrassing. Greatest nation in the world. I mean, well, we live in a time that's kind of troubling, obviously, right? Like the EPA has been gutted and the current administration is just having a free for all and things are going in the wrong direction, shall we say. Um, what What is your confidence? Wait, but, but, wait, but, but hold on. But could I please cut you off on that and yeah, just go, say go. something else? So I came to the writing, the research and the writing of the book. I started the research long before Donald Trump was anything more than a uh, reality show star. Right. You know, when I started working on the book, he, 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 I didn't even know he had any interest in politics. So, so I can't say that I was focused on Donald Trump when I started the book. But the crazy thing about this is, you ready? Is... This is a story that's Democrats, Republicans, pre-Trump, probably be post-Trump unless we do something about this. When the Democrats had the White House and both both chambers of of Congress, they didn't do anything when they could. When Republicans controlled it, they didn't do what they could. This is a public health menace, and it's something that nobody is paying attention to. And that's the reason why I wrote this book. Okay, question for you. Is nobody paying attention or do they know how bad it is and don't have the money and don't have the political will and don't want heads to roll? Like people, somebody's got to know. I mean, you know, these guys, they, they can't, are they that grossly like misinformed or is it just like the elephant in the room and everyone's just like, oh shit, we can't talk about this. Remember that great book, Catch-22? You know, there's always a catch. You know, it's yep. Catch-22. So you yep. can't get out of this circular reasoning. So here's the story. The people, and these are smart people. These are good people. There's nobody out there trying to poison our children. They're all, everyone I interviewed, I came away liking, respecting. These are people who care. But, but here's this Catch-22. This is what they say. We should regulate every chemical that's dangerous. But we're not doing the research. So until the research proves that it's dangerous, we shouldn't be wasting the money to regulate the chemical. So, okay, so fine. So we should do research. Okay, so then sometimes finally there's enough of a public uproar that they start doing a little bit of research, but they always then say, eh, it's inconclusive. What do we need? More research. More research. So there's a chemical called perchlorate that started being investigated by the EPA 23 years ago. They have done so many studies. It is so crystal clear the effect on, 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 on young children and fetuses, and yet they have not yet regulated it. And so some states in exasperation have just said, you know what? If the feds can't do it, we're just going to do it ourselves. So California has regulated it, and Massachusetts has regulated it, and a lot of other states, 17 other states have rules on it because the, the, the EPA is just not doing its job. So some people know. That's your question. Does anybody know? Yeah, people know. Are there solutions? Yeah, there's a solution. Solution is we've got to start screaming. So, all right. Well, what if there's a, a higher level solution that just involves saying, look, there's more chemicals than we even have time to do tests on. Is there a filtration system, some sort of you know, nexus of technologies that, say, Orange County was using that would pretty much scrub out all the crap to at least ensure water is water and we just jump over all that nonsense? Well, that's both, almost exactly what my solution, proposed solution is. And that is that I, I am not an anti-business person. In fact, I am a pro-business person. I'm not an anti-chemical industry person, but I'm also a pro-public health person. And what I say is, let's have it all. If we want to have a modern industrial society, if we want to have all these pharmaceutical products, if we want to you know, just do what we're doing, let's do it. That's fine. Great. Let's keep doing it. But then let's use the filtration that exists – 
and start using it. And frankly, it's not that expensive, as I said earlier, but further, once we start saying we're going to address the problem, the the great genius of American industry and, and, and all these wonderful inventors are going to jump into this in a big way, come up with all kinds of other better, more efficient solutions. The reason why there aren't more companies addressing this problem today is because who are they going to sell their products to? Why, why, would, why would a utility anywhere other than Orange County, why would a utility anywhere choose to start f- filtering out all this crap, as you put it, in the water if they have no legal reason and no legal mm-hmm. liability about doing it? I'm not trying to get anybody mm-hmm. sued, but, but, right. I, but, but w- w- I'm, I'm running a utility and I, I, I'm looking at my profit, bottom line. Why? Or I run the city utility, and I'm the mayor, and I don't want to. I don't want to get my people, you know, sick. I also don't want to get them crazy with fear. So what do I do? I say, well, whatever the EPA says to do, I'll do that, and I won't do anything more. I'll be in compliance if I can, and that's what I'm going to do. That's the problem. Nobody is going any farther than they should, further on this than they should be going. Is there a way? I have a interesting kind of a, a personal story that that follows this, which is you know I I just moved in June from Orange County, California, to uh, a town called Park City, Utah, which was an old oh, silver mining lucky, town. Lucky you. Lucky me, right? But here's the deal. My kids know, don't drink the tap water, right? There's yep. arsenic in it. Yep. It's an old mining town, right? Right. So I just right. moved from, you know, the guys that voluntarily did it for some, you know, wonderful reason to a town that is, you know, known to have pollutants in the water. And so for me, I'm th- I'm sitting there thinking, all right, I'm a resourceful dude. Do you just go, do you go put a bond measure on your local municipality? Like what what is the the, the quickest, most effective way to actionably mobilize citizens? to say, hey, mayor, we want this and we're willing to raise a bond for it or something, right? Yeah. So so to take arsenic as the example, yeah, I, by the way, the answer is yes. You can do it on a local level. You could do it on a house by house level. You could be filtering your own water. Uh, yeah. You could- you Well, could, which you, is what I do, but I'm paying a pre- I mean, the, yeah, the amount I, I paid for my whole house filter, you know, uh, it, it would be a lot less to contribute that towards, you know, oh, the, the municipal sh- thing and have my neighbors be healthy. For sure. Oh, for sure. And exactly. And you want your neighbors to be healthy. Exactly. Here, here's the story with arsenic, and it's a, it's a bit of a scandal because, the, 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 as I said earlier, what happens is the EPA scientists don't make the decision on what level of concentration of contaminant is permitted in the water. It, they make recommendations, but the politicians, the appointed officials, are the ones who finally make the decision. So, so the consensus opinion of the scientific community is that, is that at, at three parts per billion, you're probably okay with arsenic. Arsenic. Anything below that, you're probably okay. I mean, ideally, it should be zero, but at three, you're kind of okay. So for a long time, it was much, much, much higher, like 50. And there was a whole big brouhaha with the environmental community. How do we get it down? How do we get it down? How do we get it down? And finally, at the end of the Clinton administration, they decide on political grounds to reduce it to 10. Now, 10 is definitely better than 50. That's great. That's wonderful. Good choice. But they didn't want to go the extra route because that would mean yet more communities that are at six and seven and eight and nine would also have to do filtration. So because they didn't want to pay the political price of getting people annoyed with them, they made believe that the healthy number is 10 when it isn't. So so that's the other problem we have here, which is that we're not, we're not using – the best science we could be using here to get the best health health outcomes either. 10 is definitely better than 50, but if the right number is three or four or five, that's what it should be. And if I can, I have one other example like this with PFOA, which I mentioned earlier about Husik Falls. When, when, when this fellow, Michael Hickey, went ahead doing the testing, the EPA said that the safe level, again, it wasn't a regulated contaminant, but they just had it listed as a regulated number. They said the safe lumber number was 200 parts, 200 parts per, per million. So, so you have this situation where in a matter of a few months after, after this started becoming a hot political item, it drops from 200 to 100 to 70. And then the Centers for Disease Control come out with an independent report that says actually the right number is seven. So the, the number 200 or 170, they weren't picked based on science. They're based on what we could get away with. Dumb idea. Bad idea. Bad approach. 
What is, uh, you know, the combo and, you know, maybe we could talk about this a little later, the nexus of the kind of technologies that, that are used to, to handle this, uh, reverse osmosis was one of them. Uh, you mentioned there's a couple others. I'd love to get into that. Yes. And I'd, frankly, I'd love to invest in companies that, that make those right. Um, and, and, you <laughs> yeah. know, really push this as an agenda, but the, the number there, I mean, would that get arsenic down to zero? Because I have a, this is a loaded question because yeah, I have a lot of doctors talking about bioaccumulation. There's there's more than there's more than just arsenic, um, and when you have them all, you can also get very sick, uh, and your tissues are. Well, that's the that's yeah. the problem. I didn't. We. I'm glad you brought up bioaccumulation. Yeah. I thought it might be too wonky for the show, so I didn't. No, I got a lot it, of doctors on the show. Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. So you see, so the problem about bioaccumulation, there's two there's two problems about it, and we can talk about the filtration system in a second. But but there's two problems with the bioaccumulation. Number one is that you know the the chemicals that are bioaccumulative um, that that they themselves are a problem uh, because you just keep getting more and more of it into your body and it has all kinds of bad effects on you and and the sense of it now is that maybe it also is having some effect on your DNA um, and that it's called epigenetics and that there may be possibilities that with these different contaminants that it's causing an alteration of your DNA so that your children or grandchildren have some some altered uh, endocrine system or other problem. And that's, I identify that in the book as well. The second problem, which is the one that's, that's sort of the nightmare scenario is, and this is getting no attention by the EPA, is what's called a cocktail effect. So even when the EPA tests a chemical, they test it only by itself. And so they come up with a conclusion of, oh, this chemical at this level, that's safe. But here's what they don't talk about. What happens if this chemical is blended with that chemical. Because we're not getting just one contaminant at a time in our bloodstream. We're getting a few. As again, this US Geological Survey doctor, scientist who I interviewed, uh, a wonderful guy, he keeps talking about this cocktail effect that we have. You're not getting one, you're getting several. So so what is the what is the effect on our bodies? Not of the one, but of the several and of different doses and different doses at different times of the year. So the best answer is to go back to where we were a few minutes ago, where you, the start of your question is just get it all, get it out of the system. Do a better job at the wastewater treatment plant. We have the technology, just do it, filter it out. And then also on the other side, on the inbound side, if you choose to let it go, then if you're pulling water that we know have contaminants in it, then let's filter those out before we put it into the distribution. It can be done. The, the, the technology is all there. Yep. Uh, Joe Pizzorno is a dear friend of mine. Has done a lot of work on this um, bioaccumulation, and it's you know, look, a little mercury here, a little arsenic there, a little you know, diesel fuel you're inhaling. Next, thing you know, I mean, it's just we're all dealing with this dumpster fire of environmental pollutants, and um, you know, and and the, and the math and the vectors that you know need to be researched to look at what is causing what. It's just so damn multifactorial that the answer is it just is. stay clean, right? Just that's right. He, yeah. He, by the way. You, you, you know, if, if since you like G whiz type stuff, let me share a G whiz with you, okay? Yep. Um, so everybody who's following the news knows that America's plumbing infrastructure is absolutely on, you know, on death's door. Um, we have 1.1 million miles of water mains, and that's just to explain to your listeners: the water mains are the big pipes that take water through your town, and this thing that branches off of it called a service line that brings it into your home. So forget about the millions of miles of service lines. There's about 1.1 million miles of water mains in this country, and I would say a goodly percentage of them, you know, probably three quarters of them about, are no more than 20 years away from being needed to be replaced. And in fact, last year, there were 240,000 water mains that broke, So, and and it's increasing at a double-digit rate year year on year. So we know that the the water mains are really needing to be replaced. Okay, so so that's the a premise of the of, of the point I'm about to make. So what's happening is communities that are starting to replace water mains. What do they do? They replace and the water main sits in the ground then for no less than 50 years and as much as 110 years. Okay, so that's the that's the range of useful life of these things. What's happening now is is that they're replacing the pipe, one dumb pipe, with another dumb pipe, and that's a scandal. 
we should have a national policy, and, and I'm doing all I can to publicize and promote this. And by the way, I'm not investing in any of these companies, but you should. Um, the, 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 <laughs> and my there, listeners there are, should. Like, yeah, for sure. There's something called smart pipes. And smart pipes are pipes that come just like regular pipes, but they come with other accoutrements like a device that tells you if there's contaminants in the water that's flowing through it. It comes with a little turbine, the turbine about two inches wide. And as the water flows through it, it turns the turbine. It produces small amounts of electricity, which is enough electricity on a sustainable basis for 50 years to use a sort of a cellular communication technology to send a message to a control room, which says, oh, you have some water pressure problems here. Oh, you have a leak here. Oh, this section of the pipe looks like it's got a little bit of a break here. You might want to replace just this little section rather than digging up a whole, you know, long block trying to find where the hell the leak is. It and it and it tells you that there's problems with cloudy water, there's problems with polluted water. You can do anything you want now with these little smart pipes. And unfortunately, most communities are not buying them because of this very small extra cost because their attitude is, "Eh, we'll get away with the with the best we can get away with is to do as little as we can do." Once again. Yeah. Plus, it's buying me 50 years. Let it be someone else's problem. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the mayor. I won't, even, I won't even be, I mean, maybe then I'll be president or I'll be governor, but I'm not going to be mayor then. It's not my problem. Someone else's problem. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And so it gets enough electricity to be able to power the sensors to make basically a smart underground grid. Correct. Exactly. For you, water. Very exactly. You said it right. Exactly. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, you know. What about being proactive? <laughs> I mean, it's just—it seems like it seems like such a dumb idea um, to people who live in a, in a country where everything is reactive, right? Um, well, and, yeah, yes, you know, we're yeah, all sick. And we can't think straight, and you know, all these things that are happening um, are happening because we're sick, right? They're happening because we're not taking care of things the way we used to. It's just our fundamentals have changed. And, you know, our, our ancestors were a little more forward thinking, presumably, right? But, I, you know, like the, now the question is, how the hell do we get out? Like, how do we get um, this technology set and how do we get the cities to do this right? Well, what you have to do is, uh, one of the arguments I make is you've got to de-link uh, water, water uh, distribution from political control by the mayors because mayors think of water as uh, water fees rather. They think of water fees as akin to taxes and no mayor has ever been proudly reelected by saying, I've raised your taxes. So what they do is they allow the pipes to stay on the ground long, long after they should. They allow the technology, the best technology not to be bought. They keep the salaries at the water utility lower than they should be. And then you're not attracting the most recent graduates of the best engineering schools. And those are the kinds of problems that you have. So you need need to de-link the water distribution from the political process. You need to get mayor's hands completely off of this. And then you can say to people, okay, new incentives here. It's not how much, how little money we can spend. That's which is what currently is the paradigm. The new paradigm is what can we do at a reasonable cost to promote the best health profile for the largest number of people possible? And that's completely achievable, but mostly not achieved. 85% of American utilities are in the hands of municipalities, 15% are in the hands of private corporations. And I make the argument that we need to have less mayoral involvement and more independent involvement, whether it's a foundation or a city, a city uh, organization or a private company, and we'll get better outcomes that way. I want to say one other thing, by the way. On, on a, a, a moment ago, you'd said about, you know, we're not doing as much as we could be doing uh, like our grandparents did. In some industries, we're doing so much. I mean, technology is leaping forward and communications is leaping forward. And, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and the software you're using to interview me today is different. I remember last time what we used. It's different than the software <laughs> used a few years ago with me. I mean, everything is getting better. But mm-hmm. we're using the same wastewater treatment and same drinking water treatment that we used in our grandparents' generation and even earlier than that. It's crazy. That's what we need. We need to say that we're going to be as determined to make our water as efficient and effective as current technology permits. But the irony is how much are we spending on bottled water or bo- bottled beverages? And you know, I, I saw a great meme from a friend of mine this morning, actually. It was like, listen, the bottled water companies are not manufacturing water. They're, they're manufacturing plastic bottles, right? Like they're in the plastic y- business. Yeah. <laughs> right? And yeah. So, so you know, I, t- I, I talk about this at great length in the book also, because what has happened in America, we now have a, a, a by default, about a third of all Americans now 
do not drink top water, tap water at all. They only drink bottled water. And about 60% of Americans regularly drink uh, uh, bottled water. And here's, here's the reason why they do it. 92% of them say they do it for health and safety reasons. And so what we means is, is that when I was a kid, when you were a kid, nobody was drinking bottled water. Everybody was drinking out of the tap. We have, we have found a way to let the public no longer trust the workings of government. Now, if you walked out of your house and got mugged three steps out of your house, you wouldn't allow that mayor to be reelected. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to hire my own private police guard. What you would do is you'd say, let's get a good police. Or if the roads are all pitted with potholes, you'd say, pave the damn roads. Yeah. But we're not doing that. And, and we're not doing that with, we don't do that with, 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 with roads. We don't do it with fire. We don't do it with police and safety. And we, we should be doing something different with our drinking water to get the ourselves in accord here. And and if we do that, I mean, it's crystal clear, we'll have better outcomes almost immediately. Well, remind me what you said. You said 50 cents a, a, a week, um, uh, $50 a, no, a year, $50 a year. It's, 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 less, it's less than that even. And, and if we're talking about bottled water, by the way, uh, I'll give you some statistics. It's 20, last year we spent $20 billion on bottled water in the United States, wholesale. Retail, it's multiples of that. We spent $20 billion to buy 70 billion separate plastic containers. So the public chooses to drink bottled water and and 60% of all bottled water is consumed in people's homes which means that people could go to their sink and turn on the tap and they're not doing that so 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 what i said earlier is that for 63 uh, 63 cents a week, uh, or, or uh, about $33 a year, you could be getting, um, what Orange County has. The, you know, the irony too is, you know, the bottled water, there, there's all sorts of people talking about, you know, the safety of it and all that. We all know that if it heats up or if it has direct sunlight, it's leaching and it's putting carcinogens directly into the clean water that you thought you were drinking because, um, you know, you're, you you could afford bottled water. So the irony is this is actually taken something that should be uh, paid for by tax dollars. Let's just, you know, wh- you know, whatever that problem is, let's, let's talk about that later. But basically reallocating a budget to the oil and gas industry, because that's really what it is. And, and I just read an article about how this glut uh, of fracking oil that's come into the market, we didn't want to destabilize petroleum um, pricing. So it's basically become a glut in plastic and now they're putting plastic into more and more things, including bottled water, instead of just fixing the damn water you know, system in the country. <laughs> Yes, exactly. It's it, you know, you know, I don't I don't put a lot of energy in my book into talking about the litter problem, you know, the solid mm. waste problem of all those bottles. But what I do talk about at great length is is what the health effect of that is. Because exactly as you say, when the bottle the plastic bottle gets heated because you leave it in your car or it's in a, or before you buy it, it's been a, in a warehouse or if you've ever driven up to a gas station on a hot summer day, they've got those pallets of, you know, of cheap of cheap water, you know, 63 cents a bottle if you buy 10 or more, you know, kind of thing like stay away stay away from those bottles you know yeah. that's that's the last bottle i'm buying this bottle has been out in the direct sunshine for days and days you know because what, what it is is it, it it creates all kinds of problems and there's specifically we know of a, a, a particular chemicals uh, phthalates they're called that come out of the plastic into the water and they have all kinds of dreadful effects on young children and and grievous effects on the fetuses uh, of, of pregnant women. Um, so so we, you really don't want to be putting yourself into that situation. What is that? I mean, I don't know if you did the back and napkin math on that, but the amount of money being spent on plastic water bottles per capita per household, I mean, does it even come... Like what, what? What does that average out to? Yeah. So so here's what you, here's what you need here's what you need to know. Look, uh, globally speaking, water is you know a six hundred billion dollar industry. We we're a fraction of that in the United States, and a, and about a third to a half of that is is for is for services and technology. So so you're talking about something that probably is you know a little bit more than what we're spending in our water fees, but not some not some crazily larger amount because because. Because the cost of bottled water is so much higher than drinking water cost, uh, 
that that by virtue of just cleaning our drinking water, you're you still you still would have to spend a little bit more, but you would be saving in the long term, as you said earlier, we'd be saving on the environment and and our health as well. But but you would also get rid of this solid waste problem. I mean, God knows, I don't have any idea, and I didn't spend any energy trying to track it down. I have no idea what the cost is to society in transporting that trash, burying that trash, addressing that trash, because only about a very small percentage, under 25% of all plastic bottles that are used for drinking water ever get recycled. So the rest of it becomes trash or becomes litter or gets into the ocean. It's in the ocean. And what happens is it becomes microplastics in the ocean, which are killing all the fish. And I mean, a whole other can of worms there, but it's it's not pretty. Okay. So- You know, it's not just, it's not just, it's not just in the ocean. I want to just add, there's a emerging area of science, which I was lucky to speak to the guy who invented this field of science, that there's this seawater microplastics, which is what we've been talking about for 20 years. But there's now this new concern about freshwater microplastics. So every survey done of the Great Lakes, every survey done of rivers in the country, every single one reveals that there's microplastics in it. And because our filters are too, are too wide gauge to pull the microplastics out, it's also getting into what we use to food preparation and for our drinking water. So let's talk about solutions because, I mean, okay. it's just – it's infuriating. Once you kind of like get the big picture of the whole damn thing, it's like such an unnecessary public health slash environmental slash everything crisis, right? And and that's obviously why you're, you know, donating your proceeds and running around, you know, doing interviews trying to, you know, spread the message here. Well, my, the book itself, look, uh, I, 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 the book is out only a few days, but I want to say that I've already gotten a surprisingly positive reaction from people from industry, from politicians from both parties. I've been really very gratified about that. Uh, I, I've spoken to fairly senior people who are all saying we're dreaming of somebody leading this process. And I'm, I'm not the one who's eager. I'm not e- eager to be the leader on this. I just want to raise awareness on this. In terms of my book, just to be clear, just as with I did with the first book, Let There Be Water, with Troubled Water, I lay out the problem, but the bulk of the, or the bulk, at least a third of the book, I should say, the b- final third of the book is our solutions. What do we need to do? And so it's everything from smarter governance to smarter use of market forces to uh, much more research to a better use of how our utilities are organized. And I should say a word about that to um, home filtration opportunities. Um, And if you put all these different pieces together, better research, more spending, um, better governance, you're going to have a, a very, very much better uh, health profile and a very much better outcome. Uh, I, I would challenge your, your your listeners with this question. How many water utilities do you think would be efficient in a country of our size? And let's say that every state should have at least one. And so California is a big state, Texas is a big state. So so I sort of back of the envelope, you kind of come up with the thought, eh, maybe America should have somewhere between 150 and 350 water utilities. Then that would be logical to me. I put a lot of time thinking about this. And you have, you know, you have 435 members of Congress for the entire US. You have, you have about, no, oh, about 200 uh, electric utilities that cover about 60% of all electricity use in the United States. You got a, you got a, a smaller number than that of cable companies that cover about a little more than half of all cable use in the United States. Okay. So we have some, some water of magnitude. But what do we have in water utilities? We have over 50,000 water utilities in the United States. Nearly 17 in every county in the entire country, 200 in Los Angeles County alone. And what that means is, is that when every, basically every block and every trailer park is a utility onto itself, it means that none of them have the money that they need for a crisis. They hardly have enough money to, to hire staff. They don't have enough money to buy the best technology. So they are logically, these small utilities are logically constantly in default on the Safe Drinking Water Act on, on the contaminant uh, reduction that they're obliged to do. Millions of Americans are at risk because of the fact that we are so stupid to allow a structure that has so many small and ineffective utilities uh, out there. So among the things that I'm arguing for is that we need to have a completely new look at the structure of our utilities. I'm, I'm agnostic as to whether they should be public or privately held. I don't care. But what I don't believe is that have a fr- to have a fragmented system like we have serves anybody's interest except for those people who sits on the, sit on the boards of these utilities. I'd like to see one of these um, municipalities 
take a leap on this and, and if Orange County already has data on this and they have clean water, um, just do like a five-year study even. It doesn't even have to be that long on uh, the health of the population, um, measuring things like heavy metals, measuring things, you know, like obesogens and things like that. I mean, it's just, you're going to see health outcomes if you do it right. And there's just, there's so many damn variables that it's hard to measure, right? Because they're, you know, they travel, they, they eat foods that have been manufactured in different areas. But, you know, I, I will guarantee you as a, as a physician that there will be positive health outcomes in every municipality and county that does it. I, I can't imagine it not being the case. And, you know, and some of these, car, uh, some of these carcinogens and some of these endocrine disruptors aren't, you know, like something that you'll measure in three to five years. But as right. was the case with, I mentioned with Husik Falls, the man who got uh, kidney cancer, he worked in that factory for, for decades. So, so was he, was he, was it, could you say, well, that's just life. People get sick. Yeah, I could say that, but he didn't have to die when he died. He could have died 10 or 15 or 20 years later and enjoyed his grandchildren and, and kept working for another 10 years. So, so, so if you're trying to just say that it's sort of like, you know, oh, we get rid of cholera and the population, uh, uh, life expectancy grows almost immediately by 10 to 15 years. That's not what we're going to have. But what, what Jeffrey Griffiths from Tufts, uh, medical center, who is, uh, studies public health, his, his projection is that over the next 30 to 50 years, once we get this somewhat right, that it's going to transform America's health profile, much, much fewer cases of cancers, much, much fewer cases of endocrine disruption, and, and indeed, longer, healthier lives for millions. Yeah. And maybe you could go back to eating the fish. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe and maybe we'd even be nice to the fish so we could eat them <laughs> in a nice way. <laughs> That's right. He, he, it's like humane slaughter. He's still dead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but at least he's not like, you know, half plastic and filled with, uh, you know, Prozac. It's just it's, there's so many levels to this. So uh, the book is called Troubled Water. Seth, I'm just I'm so glad that you've, you know, taken up the baton on this and, and, and are charging and trying to get the message out there. Uh, I'll do what I can. I'm going to uh, really look at what that takes. I'm actually going to take an initiative. I'm going to go down to the mayor of Park City and be like, why are we not doing this? Right. And, and you know, to, local so, so, citizens so, being advocates, right? So look, do me a favor. And again, this is not me trying to sell books, but I think that nobody has made the case the way I have. And and I'll, I'll say to I'll you, take a book. I'll say to your listeners, exactly. It's not enough just for you to be smart about it. Uh, and I'm, I'm willing to be everybody's ally. I'm going to give you right now my, my how to contact Contact me because uh, I don't care if it's ten, I don't care if it's a thousand people. I respond to every email I get, every every tweet that's tweeted at me. I respond to. This is my life's work. So if you care about this issue, yes. Get a copy of Troubled Water, What's Wrong with What We Drink. Educate yourself, but don't just get one copy. Get a copy for an elected official, for a pub, for someone in your community, or a rabbi, a priest, a minister, for somebody else who, who has a big pulpit and a big mic- megaphone who can help share this issue and popularize this issue. I'm telling you, in a matter of a few months or a few years at most, once the public gets outraged, there will be a transformation. I love telling one final story if there's time for a quick story. May I? Yep. Yep. Do it. So, so here, here's the story. In 1962, Rachel Carson wrote a book called Silent Spring. And Silent Spring was about DDT, about a pesticide. Now, there was no social media then. There was no way to transmit the information quickly. In a matter of just eight years, eight years, it helps to create the environmental movement. On April 22, 1970, 40% of all American students, working people, homemakers, retirees participate in one or more Earth Day activities. The president then is Richard Nixon, nobody's idea of an environmentalist. Okay? April 22, 1970. Nixon not only doesn't participate in Earth Day, he orders the White House staff that no one may do so. And yet... On December 2nd, 1970, Richard Nixon, by executive order, creates the EPA. And the lesson we have from that is that either from April 22nd, 1970, or from fall of 1962, wherever your starting date is, no matter who the politician is, no matter how antagonistic they may be, they are not going to ignore the voice of the people. And that's what we can do. Get yourself motivated, whether it's in Park City, whether it's in Orange County, whether it's everywhere, tell the story, demand better water, and we will have great outcomes very quickly. I love it. I love it. Uh, 
get the book, get multiple copies of the book, get to work. It's our water. It's our world. Let's take it back. Seth Siegel, you're a hero. Keep up the good work, my friend. And um, I uh, personally will be handing out this book to a number of uh, Thank you you. Know, kind of influencers and elected officials. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm in your corner. I'm on Twitter at Seth M. Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L, and you can get me at troubledwater.us, www.troubledwater.us, and you can learn more about what we're trying to do. And please get involved. Thank you. Awesome. All right, folks, I'll see you next time. Don't just sit there. Get a copy. Get to work. Get to work.